Good morning, church. How are you? Let's stand up on our feet this morning if you're able to. Good to see your faces this morning. As we prepare our hearts for worship, I want to take us to Psalm 95. We're going to say this together this morning. This is a classic invitation into worship out of the scriptures. Say it with me this morning, church. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud. Everybody say shout aloud, real loud. Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. The psalmist says to shout aloud. Everybody say shout aloud. Yeah, you guys are alive this morning. So on the count of three, I'm going to have us say hallelujah as loud as we possibly can. You got it? You ready to shout aloud? We're just doing the Bible this morning, okay? One, two, three. That's so good. Let's do it again. One, two, three. And one more time. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord together. Let our praise be your welcome. And let our songs be a sign that we are here for you. We are here for you. Come on, let your breath. And let your breath come from heaven. And fill our hearts with your life. Because we are here for you. Oh, yes, we are. We are here for you. Come on to our hearts and sing it. Our hearts are open, our fear is in you, our one desire. You alone are holy, only you are worthy, God, let your fire fall down. Oh, shout it out, and let our shout be your anthem, your Just before you, God. Oh, 
welcome the Lord in your own words today. Make a personal invitation. God, would you just shape us this morning, bend our hearts towards you. We adore you.
again your name because your name is the highest your name is the greatest your name stands above them all above all thrones and dominions all powers and positions your name stands above them all and the angels cry holy all creation cries holy you are lifted up holy holy forever hear your people sing hear your people sing holy to the king of kings holy you will always be holy holy forever tell him one more time you will always be
It's not lost on us that, that we get to stand in freedom and worship the Lord in safety in this amazing country that we live in. Thanks to our veterans. I'd like to invite uh, Lieutenant Colonel Wade Smith to come join me on stage. Oh, yes, please, would you celebrate our veterans this morning? Wade, um, Wade, thank you. Tell us about what you do for our armed services and then encourage our vets this morning. Yeah, good morning, New Life. And Colin, uh, thanks for allowing uh, me to come up here. Uh, it's not about me. Uh, I do serve in the Army. I'm a soldier uh, down at Fort Carson. And uh, I'm very proud to wear the uniform. 
And uh, I'm very proud to be a part of a nation that um, remembers its warriors. So um, my lovely bride who's not up here is also a veteran, four and a half years uh, as an engineer. So um, right now I, I'm, uh, I serve in an engineer unit. So we do lots of cool things. We create things and then we also destroy them as well. So that's um, also what I do in my job. <laughs> I opened myself up for that one. Um, so yeah, that's what we do. And uh, I'm just honored to be able to come up here in front of uh, the New Life East congregation uh, and just uh, take a couple minutes to honor our veterans. Um, I, I will say this, uh, scripture is littered uh, with stories and remembrances of veterans, um, particularly in the book of Judges. Um, Israel has their own veterans. So the same way that they honor Samson and, you know, Deborah um, and all of the judges that served in a military capacity, uh, we also do. Um, and so we just wrapped up a culture conference in our uh, brigade. And one of the things that we highlighted was the importance of cultural artifacts. Um, and so as Israel had these monuments and, and these scriptures uh, in the Old Testament, you know, dedicated to honoring those warriors, uh, so we have uh, Veterans Day. And so if you'll allow me, I'd love to just pray over our veterans and, uh, you know, the New Life East congregation. Wade, before you do that, if you are a veteran in this room, would you just put your hand in the air? And we would love to surround these veterans. Yes, celebrate you this morning. As Wade prays over you, if you're around one of these uh, veterans who've had their hand in the air, just surround them. Put your hands over them. Wade, as you pray. God, we come now to you with thanks. Thanks for our freedom, our peace, our prosperity and security. On this Remembered Sunday, we thank you, especially for the women and men who gave of themselves in times of war and to help ensure the blessings that we enjoy. The names, the faces, the stories come to us once and again, and we honor them, their courage, their sacrifice, their willingness to put themselves in harm's way for a better cause. Ecclesiastes, and Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for war and a time for peace. And God, I pray your overwhelming peace would come over our veterans. And I pray for our leaders whose decisions have significant influence on war and peace in the world. I pray for those currently serving on the front lines today that your presence would be felt by not only them, but their families. Psalm 144 says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hand for wars, my fingers for battle. He's my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. And I pray for those who wonder if their service and sacrifice have meant anything. And I just pray that the words of Psalm 44 just blanket you. We honor the service and sacrifice of those who fought for our freedom throughout the years, for those who protected and served. We just want to say thank you. May you feel God's presence in your life. And lastly, in Deuteronomy, it says, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. Not with you, for you, to give you victory. So Lord, lastly, we give you thanks that you are the ultimate warrior, that you fight for us the defender of our freedom, the holy and righteous, and that through you there is no more war and death. You conquered all of that on the cross, Jesus. God, I thank you for a congregation and a nation that loves its warriors. I'm so grateful, so grateful. Lord, we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen.
Would you guys thank our veterans again? Wait, thank you. That was beautiful. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you. Oh, man, it's so good to see you all this morning. If we've not had a chance to meet, my name is Colin Stoddard. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life East. This is also part of the service where we acknowledge our giving of our tithes and our offerings. You can follow the instructions on the screen for the ways to give. If you brought a gift with you, you can put it on one of the high top tables as you leave the gymnasium this morning. Uh, A couple things for you to be aware of. December 3rd is a big day for us around here. One of the reasons is because we are combining both of our services, our 9 and our 11 o'clock services, into one 10 a.m. service. And if you look around and you're like, oh, how are we all going to fit? I promise you, we're going to be able to fit and it'll be okay. We have a lot more chairs and we want you all to get to know each other better for us to be one big happy family. That's the best way for us to do it in this season. Also on December 3rd, we're having a special offering for our facilities fund is what we are calling that. And those funds will be used for future expansion and for all of the things that are associated with that as we continue to grow. And we are hoping and asking for 100% participation for everybody to join with us as we see God working and growing in our midst. The last thing is that every Christmas, New Life East adopts families for Christmas. And we adopted uh, around 40 families last Christmas. And Jenny Chin, who's our amazing administrator, who's putting it all together, has said that we can do a much, much larger number than that this year. So the next two Sundays in the upcoming uh, weekends, you'll have the option and the ability to adopt another family for Christmas. But if you know somebody who needs help and support this year, today is the last Sunday for them to be a part of that. And so uh, if you uh, look at the screen and there's a a QR code that says uh, something that's like things going on around here or something like that, as soon as the team puts that up there, you can scan that. And then there's a link to sign up with family from that QR code right there. So That's it. We want you to participate in that as well. Before we open the scriptures together, would you turn to one another, say good morning, and uh, encourage somebody today. All right, I'll invite you to take your seat. 
Good morning again, New Life East family. There are a lot of you here this morning, and it's good to see you if this is your first time with us. My name is Andrew, and I'm the lead pastor here. It's a joy to have you in our house. I love this church. I absolutely love this church. I was, man, and Chris Bateman loves this church. Do you love this church? And I love being part of this church. Uh, Wade, thank you for leading that ministry moment. I was looking around as you were leading that moment and praying over people. I was just thinking about how many excellent people we have in this house, in this community that call New Life East Home. And uh, we're going on four years as a congregation. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Uh, being a part of New Life East has been one of the biggest surprises of our lives and also one of the biggest blessings of our lives. And we're just so heartened by all that the Lord is doing in our midst and also so energized about where God is taking us. I was in San Antonio uh, preaching at a big church there this past weekend. So much fun. I traveled there with uh, our 14-year-old daughter, Bella. And uh, so we traveled all day Friday and we went to Six Flags on Saturday and ate downtown the Riverwalk Saturday night and then preached at this church on Sunday morning. And it was so much fun because I'm up there on stage just like this. Uh, doing a little sound check and test one, two, test one, two, blah, blah, blah. And I looked, <laughs> I looked down at my feet and there's a sheet there that has their set list for the morning. And you know what the opening song of the set list was? There is a savior by New Life Worship, which I thought was like so great, you know, and, the way, <laughs> and I kind of laughed about it. And then the worship leader came up to me as soon as sound check was done, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he was like, hey, man, we just wanted you to feel like you were at home around here. And I was like, oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> it was so great. But then the same worship leader, he came up to me after the service, and he was like, he said, hey, uh, actually, part of the reason that we also led off with a New Life song was, um, he's like, you don't know anything about me, but about eight years ago, I was in a really dark place vocationally. As a worship leader, he said, and then I ran into New Life Worship. And it was something about the way that New Life Worship conducted itself, how they were singing, how they were thinking about worship, how you guys as a congregation were thinking about worship and the church. He said all of that, like it put life back in me. It re-energized me for my own vocation again. He said, and so for the last eight years, I've been feeding personally in my vocation off of what the Lord is doing at New Life Church. Now that's amazing. This is a guy down in San Antonio, Texas. Who's, he's never darkened the doors of the New Life Church campus in any capacity whatsoever. And yet somehow he's being strengthened by what the Lord has done here. And I thought about that. I thought about all of the, when you think about what it takes for a song by a church to make it down to another church and to encourage a person like that, that doesn't just kind of come out of nowhere. That comes because there are years and years and years of sacrifice and service, the people of God pouring themselves out to build up an expression where that can happen. And I say all that to say, Pastor Colin mentioned this offering that we have coming up on December 3rd. Uh, New Life East, I don't know if you realize this, but like our vision for what our ministry is supposed to be is bigger than the four walls of this auditorium. Thanks be to God. Uh, the writer of Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 19, or 29, 18, says that without vision, the people perish. And our dream for our community, which we believe is also God's dream for our community, is that we'd have a footprint not just on the east side of the city, but in our country and in our world, that there would be a legacy that we would establish in partnership with the Spirit that would reach far beyond us. I was talking with Kim Shepard one of our prayer warriors in this church before the service. And she said, you need to tell the church that this is about more than just this year or the next five years or the next 10 years. 
that this is about, as the psalmist says, that a people yet unborn would praise the Lord. And so as we prepare our hearts for this offering on December 3rd, guys, I want to encourage you to have a vision that's bigger than just this moment in your life or just this moment in our lives. The reason that that song, There is a Savior, winds up in San Antonio is because there were a people that had a vision beyond just the framework of their present moment. And there's something that God wants to do with us that requires that we have a vision that's bigger than the present moment. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house this morning? Here's what Paul says. He says, to the one who is able to do exceedingly, everybody say exceedingly, and abundantly, say abundantly, far beyond, everybody say far beyond, that he says all we could ever ask or even imagine. What if God wants to do more with New Life East than we could ever ask or even even dream of? And so as we give on December 3rd, it's about that. It's about putting our faith and our effort and our resources together with the Spirit of God to see what the Spirit of God won't do with it. So prepare your hearts for that. I'm in the book of 1 Kings uh, chapter 20. We're bringing the series on Kings in for a landing. I'm going to preach chapter 20 this week. Pastor Rory uh, will finish us off with, I think, chapter 22 next week. And then I'll have a special message the week after Thanksgiving. And then right after that, we'll be into Advent. And oh my gosh, the year is almost over. I can't believe it. 1 Kings chapter 20, brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to read a lot of verses. I'm going to read them kind of fast, so buckle up. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army. So uh, Israel's at a pretty low point here. Remember, Elijah has made his appearance on the scene to confront Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel, who are the worst leaders that Israel ever saw, they are as yet, in spite of all the things that Elijah has done, they are as yet unrepentant. So now we come to this moment. Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army, accompanied by 32 kings. With their horses and chariots, he went up and he besieged Samaria and he attacked it. And he said, Samaria is another, that's where Ahab was reigning. And he sent messengers to the, to the city to Ahab, king of Israel, saying, this is what Ben-Hadad says, your silver and your gold are mine, and the best of your wives and children are also mine. And the king of Israel answered, just as you say, my lord, the king, I and all that I have are yours. So here is Ahab just basically acquiescing to the king of Aram. Then messengers came again and said, this is what Ben-Hadad said, I sent to demand your silver and gold, your wives and your children, but about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send my officials to search your palace and the houses of your officials, and they will seize not just those things, but everything that you value. So not everything is being threatened, and they'll carry it away. And the king of Israel summoned all the elders of the land and said to them, see how this man is looking for trouble? When uh, he sent for my wives and my children, my silver and my gold, I didn't refuse them. And the elders and the people all answered, don't listen to him or agree to his demands. So he replied to Ben-Hadad's messengers, Tell my lord the king, your servant will do all that you demanded the first time, but this demand I can't meet. And they left and took his answer back to Ben-Hadad. And then Ben-Hadad sent another message to Ahab, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if enough dust remains in Samaria to give each of my men a handful. And the king of Israel answered him, Tell him, One who puts on his armor should not boast like one who takes it off. Ooh, them are fighting words. Ben-Hadad heard this message while he and the kings were drinking in their tents. They're drunk, and so they're feeling a little feisty. And he ordered his men, prepare to attack. And so they prepared to attack the city. Verse 13, meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and pronounced, this is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? I will give it into your hand today, and then you will know that I'm the Lord. But who will do this, asked Ahab. And the prophet replied, this is what the Lord says. It's the junior officers. Everybody say the junior officers. It's the junior officers under the provincial commanders. They will do it. And who will start the battle, he asked. And the prophet answered, you're going to do it. So Ahab summoned the 232 junior officers under the provincial commanders. 
Then he assembled the rest of the Israelites, 7,000. Oh, a whole 7,000, huh? Then they set out at noon while Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings allied with them were in their tents getting drunk. And the junior officers under the provincial commanders went out first. And now Ben-Hadad had dispatched scouts who reported men are advancing from Samaria. And he said, if they've come out for peace, take them alive. If they've come out for war, take them alive. So the junior officers, everybody say the junior officers. The junior officers under the provincial commanders marched out of the city with the army behind them. And each one struck down his opponent. And at that, the Arameans fled. With the Israelites in pursuit, but Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, escaped on horseback with some of his horsemen, and the king of Israel advanced and overpowered the horses and the chariots and inflicted heavy losses on the Arameans. And afterward, the prophet came to the king of Israel, and he said, strengthen your position and see what must be done, because next spring, the king of Aram will attack you again. Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, their gods are the gods of the hills. They're so stupid. That's why they were too strong. For us, but if we fight them in the plains, surely they will be stronger than they, because their gods are the gods of the hills and not the gods of the valleys. So if we fight them in the valleys, we're going to have an advantage over them. Do this. Remove all the kings from their commands and replace them with other officers. And you must also raise an army like the one you lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, so that we can fight Israel on the plains. Then surely we will be stronger than they. He agreed with them and he acted accordingly. Verse 26. The next spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans, and he went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And when the Israelites were also mustered out and given provisions, they marched out to meet them. The Israelites camped opposite them like two, say it real loud, church, like two tiny little flocks of goats, while the Arameans covered the countryside. And the man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says, because the Arameans think that the Lord is the God of the hills and not the God of the valleys. I will deliver this vast army into your hands, and you will know that I am the Lord. For seven days they camped opposite each other, and on the seventh day the battle was joined. And the Israelites, how big did the Israelites look like? Do you remember that a couple verses earlier? What did they look like? Two, what? Two, and the Israelites, now pick it back up again, they inflicted, how many does the text say? A hundred thousand casualties on the Aramean foot soldiers in one day. The rest of them escaped to the city of Aphek, where the wall collapsed on 27,000 of them. And Ben-Hadad fled to the city and hid in an upper or an inner room. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. Lord God, it is good to be in your house. It's good to have the scriptures open in front of us. It's good to have the wisdom of God in front of us as we figure out what we need to do with our lives and how we must be and how you're calling us. Thank you for these scriptures that are ever fresh. Augustine said of you, O God, that you are the beauty who is ever ancient and ever new, that somehow you're the oldest thing and yet you're always springing up fresh in our experience. And I think that's true of the scriptures as well, that they are ever ancient, written thousands of years ago. And somehow they're also ever new, that when we read them, we realize somehow that they're not talking about a people a long time ago, who lived in a land far, far away, but somehow they're talking about us. And this story is our story. These scriptures are our scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed, says Paul. And it's useful, useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we're trusting in that this morning. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would help us. We ask that you would give the preacher clarity. We ask that you would teach us to hear these scriptures and this sermon and language that makes sense to us. Change us. Help us. Build us up. 
we pray as your people. We're asking that the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight. So, Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. I want to just start this morning by asking this question. What do you do when the deck is stacked against you? What do you do when the deck is stacked against you? The deck is stacked against Israel, isn't it here? It's not just the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad, but it's also 32 other kings have allied themselves together against Ahab and against Israel. The deck is stacked against the people of God. And Ahab, in the middle of that, you know, as the story begins, he's sort of about ready just to kind of acquiesce to these armies. And then Ben-Hadad actually says, you know, I'm going to come in. I'm going to take everything that belongs to you. It all belongs to me. And so Ahab kind of finds this sort of pluckiness in his heart and stands up and says, hey, we're not going to let it go that way. And God comes to him and says, hey, I'm going to be on your side. Like, I'm for you, Ahab, and I'm not against you. And if you see that you see this vast army that's encamped against you, like the battle is the Lord's. And here is what you're going to do. You're going to march out with your junior officers and some provincial commanders and your little small group of 7,000 or so people. And I promise you, you're going to rout this vast army. And that's exactly what happens, not once, but twice. And the Lord actually says two times over that I'm going to prove to you and to all of these people that I am the Lord. The deck has been stacked against you, but I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver those enemies into your hands. And you're going to know that I am the Lord. And I love this story because to me, this connects up with a great theme of Scripture. This kind of thing happens over and over again in the text of Scripture. That the people of God will be standing kind of with their backs against the wall. And the deck is stacked against them and the odds are very great. And somehow God delivers them. Think about when God delivers his people up out of Egypt. In Exodus, they're fleeing from Egypt and they're encamped there against the Red Sea. And they've got the Egyptian army coming against them. And Moses cries out to the Lord, God, we need you to do something about this vast army that's coming. And we've got this wall of water over here and we don't know what to do. And the Lord says, hey, Moses, do you remember that staff that I gave you? That staff by which miracles were done, that staff by which you were commanding all of the hosts of Israel as they are coming up out of Egypt. Do you remember that? Why don't you just go ahead and like use that thing that I've got you. Raise up that staff and watch what I won't do. And as Moses does that, all of a sudden the Lord creates this blockade between the advancing army and the people of God. And that Red Sea, it parts, a wall of water on the right hand and on the left hand. The people of God advance through the Red Sea. And when the Egyptians chase them into the Red Sea, do you remember what Moses does? He puts down the staff and all of the waters cover over the Egyptian army, and somehow Israel, the deck was stacked against them, and God saved them. Or you might think about Gideon in the book of Judges. Wade talked about the book of Judges. You remember that God raised up Gideon as a judge, as a leader, and Israel, and the Midianites, and several other armies, this vast horde encamped against Israel. And Gideon has been raised up to lead the people of God against this vast army. And you might remember what God says to Gideon. He's like, hey, uh, yep, you're supposed to go to war against these people, but your army right now is too big. Do you remember that? He's like, so I want you to go down to the river and separate those that lap water like dogs from those that bring it to their hands. And he's got now this group of 300 left, and the Lord is like, 300, that'll do. And so with 300 people, they advance against this huge horde, and the Lord delivers them. A great, the deck was stacked against, and somehow God did it. Or you think about the story of David and Goliath. Goliath, that great giant that had the Israelites absolutely shaking in their boots. And David comes to the battle line and he sees Goliath intimidating the armies of the Lord. And he goes, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? And they tell him, 
And he goes, well, I can do that. And so Saul hears about it and he pulls David aside and he puts Saul, he puts David in Saul's armor there. And David runs to the battle line and he goes, I can't do this with all this stuff on me. And he strips it off. Do you remember that? And he goes down to the creek and he finds five smooth stones and he puts them in his shepherd's, uh, he puts them in his shepherd's pouch and he, and he runs to the battle line and he takes it, right? And with one, one rock, sinks it into the head of the Philistine and the Philistine falls to the ground and the armies of the Philistines all of a sudden are conquered by Israel. And the writer of 1 Samuel says this of David, so David triumphed over this huge Philistine with what? Just a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Friends, this pattern repeats itself over and over and over again in Scripture, that the people of God have their back against the wall and somehow God delivers them. So I want to ask the question again this morning. What do you do when the deck is stacked against you? By a show of hands, how many of you have ever been in a situation where the deck was stacked against you? Where it's like, holy smokes, I don't know what to do. How are we going to get out of this one? Okay, that's like 100% of us in this room. Okay, what do you do when the deck is stacked against you? I want to give you two things. Draw them right out of this story. Number one, you act in the strength that you have. Everybody say, you act in the strength that you have. You act in the strength that you have. Did you notice how the first time there was that challenge against Ahab, he kind of just sinks back? Oh, okay, whatever, you know? And then all of a sudden, uh, Ben-Hadad, he ups the ante, and Ahab kind of finds some pluckiness in his heart, and he pulls together the strength that he has, and he heads into the battle. I think that's important for us to know. I think that when you've got the deck stacked against you, one of the great temptations that we all face is kind of just waving the white flag of surrender and going, oh, you know, I think that God is just supposed to do it all. If we're going to get out of this, it's all going to be in God's hand. And I want to say to you that sometimes when we get in those situations where we feel like we're over our heads, there's this great temptation. The temptation is to under-function in the situation. Have you ever noticed that in yourself? Temptation to under-function? Sometimes I think that what we have is we have this like perverse view of the sovereignty of God where it's like, you know, well, if it's the will of God to do this thing, then God is just going to do it. And we just kind of lay off to the side over here and we just sort of let it happen. Que sera, sera, you know, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. Que sera, sera. And yet over and over again in scripture, God doesn't let his people off the hook that easy. It's not just a matter of sort of laying back and letting God do everything, but God somehow speaks to us and he calls us up into it. Think about actually back in that story of Moses with the people of God at the Red Sea. You might remember if you know the story well that they're encamped there at the Red Sea and they see the Egyptian armies coming. And Moses goes, oh God, help us, help us. And the Lord's like, what are you calling out to me for? Don't don't you remember that thing that I gave you, that thing that you have in your hand, that staff that I gave you? That staff by which miracles happen, that staff that is the staff of the authority that I have put in your hand. Hey, Moses, why don't you pick up that staff and do the thing with it that I have asked you to do? And as Moses lifts up the staff, the thing that God had put in his hand, all of a sudden that's when the miracle starts taking place. There's a temptation when the deck is stacked against us to underfunction. I've thought about this often as a pastor over the last 20 years, and I've met with people who, for instance, will say, you know, Pastor, my career is just not going the way that I want it to, and I'm just not seeing the breakthroughs that I want to see. And I'll ask them, you know, like, have you done anything at your job? 
to put yourself in a position where a promotion might come? Oh, no, you know. I'd hate to meddle with the plans of God. You know? I just need to, you know, whatever will be. You know, let it be unto me according to your whatever. You're like passive in this. What if God's actually inviting you to be part of the miracle? I think about that with some of the folks that I've talked to over the years that have been single and wanted to be married, you know. I just really believe that God has a spouse out, me for their, uh, out there for me somewhere. And you'll ask them, are you dating? Oh, no, I could never. What are you hoping will happen? You're walking down the street one day and all of a sudden angels start singing around this person, you know, and the Lord mysteriously prompts them to come up to you and get down on one knee and prepare. But what? Get your butt in the game. <laughs> There's something for you to do about it. Well, I think about all those people that I've talked to over the years who they're stuck in some way with relationships that they really care about. You know, I'm just really contending, Pastor, that there would be a breakthrough in these relationships. And I'll say to them, well, I understand that there was conflict at some point. Have you ever, like, actually leaned into the conflict? You know what I mean? Like, have you had the conversation with those people that you need to have that might actually help the thing get unstuck? Oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. You know, it's really upon the Lord to move upon their hearts to come. Selfish. Prideful. Foolish lazy (laughs) is the word for it. God expects us to participate in the strength that we have in the miracles that he wants to bring about in our lives. Do you understand that? And I think about that even when it comes to this building campaign, this facilities thing that we're about to jump into as a congregation. Some of you know know the story of how this got instigated in our midst. There was a piece of property that came available to us earlier this year, some of the staff and I took Pastor Brady over there, and we took a tour of the place and looked around at it, and there were so many ways in which it seemed like this is a really great fit for us, and then we started running the numbers and looking at what we have. We just didn't have the cash reserves to pull it off, and an opportunity came and went, and I remember sharing that story at a family meeting earlier this year, and I started talking about how, so there was like this piece of property, and we went and looked at it, and there were a whole bunch of people that were like, and you're telling us, Pastor, that this piece of property is going to drop in our laps? Is that what you're about to announce? And I had to announce no, that we missed it. (laughs) There were another number of people in this congregation that were mad at me about that. I can't believe that you would set us up with a story like that, you know? That's so mean of you. But the expectation is that God is just going to drop things in our lap without any effort on our parts, any participation on our parts. And I actually think, as I've been reflecting on it over the last six months, I actually think that it's better for us that a piece of property didn't just drop in our laps without any effort on our parts. As if we're going to be the people of God that God wants us to be, we have to be a people who are engaged in the process somehow. And so for us to be like a little rankled up about that whole thing, like, I can't believe that that would happen. You know what that does? I'll tell you what it does in me. It awakens some fight in me. Oh, I want a future. Oh, I want, what I want is I want roots to go down on the east side of the city. Or what I want is I want for us to have a footprint over there. Or what I want is I want for us to establish a legacy on the east side of the city. And if I've got to bleed to see that happen, I'm willing to bleed. Are you willing to bleed, church? Get your butt in the game, is what I'm saying. And some of this, the reason that we withhold ourselves, the reason that we underfunction, it really is just pure laziness. We want God to do everything. We don't want to participate in the unfolding miracle. Dorothy Sayers 
one of the great writers of the 20th century, helps us understand that laziness or sloth is a deadly sin. In one of her writings, she's talking about the seven deadly sins, and she says that the sixth deadly sin is named by the church acedia or sloth. In the world, she says it calls itself tolerance, you know, like let everything, you know, just whatever will be, will be, and you do you, and I'll do me, and all that. She says in the world it's called tolerance, but in hell it's called despair. It's the accomplice of the other sins, and it's their worst punishment. It's the sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive only because there is nothing for which it would die. She says we've known it far too well for many years. The only thing perhaps that we have not known is that it is a mortal sin. Do you have fight in your heart? Do you have fight in your heart? Do you know that Jesus expects this from us? Think about that moment in John chapter 5 when there's the man, cripple, who's laying by the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus comes up to him, and he says, hey man, do you want to get well? Oh, but master, you don't understand. He says, whenever the angel comes and stirs these waters here, these healing waters, everybody else gets down in there ahead of me, and I just can't. I've been lying here forever, and I don't know. And Jesus is like, I didn't ask you about that. I didn't ask you about all of your disadvantages I didn't ask you about the pool. I didn't ask you how unfair that whole thing is for you. What I asked you is, do you want to get well? The man's like, yeah, I'd love to get well. What does Jesus say to him? Get up. Get up. Get up. Take up your mat and go home. And that man is not going to know that the miracle has taken place until he actually tests it with his strength. And the same is true of you. You won't have any idea that the miracle has actually taken place unless you trust it and begin to exercise yourself into it, which is why Jesus says over and over and over again in the Gospels, according to your... You know it? Say loud, church. According to your... that's, That's when the thing is done unto you. Are you ready to get in the game? Ahab has to get in the game. Ahab, I need you to do this, and I need you to do this, and I need you to do that. And the battle, God will take care of the battle, but I need you to contribute to it in some way. Are you contributing? In all the things of your life, those places where you feel like the deck is stacked against us, are you contributing the way that God would have you contribute? That's number one. But I'll say this to you as well. The second thing out of this story is that we act in the strength that we have But we also recognize that our strength is not enough. (laughs) It's such good news. We act in the strength that we have, but we recognize that our strength is not enough. So what do we do? We put the matter in God's hands. Did you notice I had you repeat it a couple times when we were reading the story? As Ahab gets ready to go to war, who takes the lead? It's the the junior officers little guys, you know, the youth group. It's probably not the youth group, (laughs) but something like that. Like, hey, you guys get out there. (laughs) But it's a pack of the junior officers and 7,000 or so. And meanwhile, they are allied against this whole 32 kings. 
and armies as great, as vast as the seashore. And, and somehow it's not enough, is it? And yet it is enough. And it's more than enough. That staff that Moses is holding against the Egyptian armies, is it enough? No, it's not enough. But in God's hands, it's more than enough. And the 300 that Gideon pulled together against that army, is it enough? No. But with God, it's what? It's more than enough. And and David, with his little slingshot and that round, is it enough? Not against Goliath. And somehow, though, within the providence of God and the hand of God, it winds up being more than enough. And it's the same thing here, that these junior officers and the 7,000 and the two little clusters of people that just look like flocks of goats, is it enough, church? No. But in the hands of God, it's what? It's, it's more than enough. Don't you understand? That's the whole thing with our faith, is that we act in what we have. We give God what we're able to give God. And somehow God takes it and he turns it into an exceedingly and abundantly far beyond. Can anybody finish it? All we could ever ask or even imagine, somehow it becomes more. If one of the temptations when the deck deck is stacked against us is under-functioning, do you know what I think another temptation is? Over-functioning. The temptation is to over-function. We assume that the miracle lies in our power in some way. And so what we do is we start manipulating and trying to manage the situation to get the outcome that we're wanting to get, you know? That we assume that it's on us to make a career happen. And so we work 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, and we take all the classes and we do all the extra stuff. And we burn ourselves out in the process. We stopped acting in faith. We assume that's 100% on us if we're single people to try to get married, to find a spouse. And so all of a sudden we start acting like crazy people. Do you want to marry me? 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 <laughs> We subvert our own efforts in the process. We assume that it's on us to make all of the relationships in our lives that are not right, right. And so we start over-functioning in all those relationships and we make them, do you understand that the battle does not belong to us? Who's the battle belong to? Our job is to do what God has asked us to do and then we put the rest of it in God's hands and he does something with it that we could never do on our own. Are you tracking with me this morning, church? I was just talking with a friend recently. He's been in ministry for 15 years. And he said, Andrew, the wildest thing happened to me recently. I said, what? He said, for the first 15, 13 or 14 years of my ministry, he said, I had this thing that I was holding out hope for that God would make good on in my ministry. It was just something that I wanted to see God do. He said, and so I pray about it and I was asking the Lord for it. He said, and then I kept, like I kept doing whatever I thought I needed to do to try to make the thing happen. And so I had this little strategy and this little way of He said, and every time I acted beyond what God was asking me to do, I just subverted myself in the process. He said, I just got so frustrated that eventually I just said, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't make this thing happen. And so I yielded into your hands. And he said, you know what the craziest thing was? He said, the moment that I gave that thing up to God, do you know what happened? The thing materialized right in front of my very eyes. He said, and now I'm scared. You know, I don't want to mess it up or jinx it. He's like, do you have any advice for me, Andrew, on that? I was like, I don't actually have any, but thanks be to God. And I actually, as I was in the conversation with him, I wound up just kind of shaking my head because I went, I have seen God do that so many times. It's just the strangest thing. That we have stuff that we're holding that's so dear in our hearts and we try so hard. We 
I really want to see this thing happen. And then there's this moment that you come to where you go, God, I, I've done everything I know how to do. Here, you take it. You do something with it. And God does. I think about all of the women I've heard. At this point in my life, I've heard this story hundreds of times now. All the women I have heard in my life who have struggled with infertility, and then their husbands do everything that they can do to try to get pregnant, to have kids of their own, fertility treatments, and this, that, and the other thing. And then this story, you've heard this story too. I gave it up over to God. God, I can't do anything more to fix this, to solve this. We've done everything that we know how to do, and we still feel a desire in our hearts to be parents, so we're going to foster or we're going to adopt. We're going to bring other kids into our home and love them and care for them. And wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden, boop. (laughs) I actually think that that's a great metaphor for the life of faith. That we do every single thing we know how to do, and then we give it over to God. And somehow in the giving up of things to God, the miracle takes place. Are you tracking with me this morning, church? Do you know that like we don't need to overfunction in the process? You know, I think about this great act that we have at the culmination of our worship here. We come to the table of the Lord for communion. I could, like, we take this little cracker here, this basket of crackers in the cup, and we lift it up before the Lord, and somehow we trust that there's a miracle that takes place in there. Do you know that there is no amount of extra effort that I can give or you can give to this that will make it more or less the body of Christ than it is? Come on, Jesus! Won't you do it, Lord? (laughs) You don't. Yeah. And that would have been a good metaphor, too. (laughs) Knock the whole table over. What do we do? We go, okay, we've got this bread, God. And we've got this juice. And by itself, it's not nearly enough, it's not even close. But it's what we have. And you said that if we had faith, (laughs) you said that if we had faith as small as a mustard seed, we could say to the mountain, be moved from here to there and be done. You're not actually asking for that much from us. You're just asking that we would take these simple things, the simple things that we have, and you're asking that we would turn them over to you and that somehow a miracle would take place in it. And I don't know what thing you're facing this morning. I don't know where you feel like the deck is stacked against you. I don't know where it feels like the thing is insurmountable. This is what God has asked you to do. He's asked you to act in the strength that you have with the faith that you have. And then what are you going to do? Turn it over. Give it away. And trust that there is one on the other side of that gift who's able to do, somebody say it with me one more time, exceedingly, abundantly, far beyond all we could ever, yeah, according to his glorious power that's at work within us. Would you stand this morning, church? God, it's good to be in your presence. Church, right now, would you just take the thing, whatever it is? I don't know what feels hard. I don't know what feels impossible. I don't know where it feels like the deck is stacked against. I don't know where it feels like for you that you've exercised your agency and it hasn't been enough. I don't know what that is. I just want you to hold it up before the Lord here. God, it's good to be in your presence. And we're so grateful that we get to participate with you in the unfolding miracle of salvation in the world. Here it is. Here's our lives. Paul tells us to take our lives off our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So we give it up to you. 
Our desire for our marriages, we give it up to you. Our desires for our finances, we give that up to you. Our desires for our children, we give it up to you. As a congregation, our desire to be on the east side of the city and to have a footprint there and all that, we're going to act in the strength that we have, God. And then we give it up to you. We ask that you would do more. And we, in that spirit, we also offer a bread and cup before you this morning. And we remember before you, Lord Jesus, that on the night that you were betrayed, after you'd given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples. And you said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do whatever you drink in remembrance of me. Here it is, Jesus. Bread and cup. It's not enough. It's not even close to being enough. And yet you've chosen it. You've chosen it. Somehow you're recruiting these things to be vehicles of your presence, to be vehicles of your saving power, just like you're recruiting our lives to be those vehicles. So we offer it up before you. We ask that you would lay your hands upon bread and cup, that you would lay your hands upon us individually, that you would lay your hands upon this church, and that you would make us the living body of Christ for the world. Caught up in the mystery. We're grateful for it. We ask that you perform the miracle this morning. Grant it, Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to invite our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. As always, communion will be on my right and my left up front here as you come. You'll come up the center aisle here. Come forward. The server will put a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the juice and take it as you head back to your seat. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.
Being together in God's presence is the best thing ever. Can I get an amen from somebody? Lift up your hands like this. Receive this benediction as you go. New Life East, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I invite our altar ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Remember to see us in Connect Central. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. Coffee and donuts and fellowship hour in the lobby out there. We love you. Have a great Veterans Day weekend. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.